0: Get the little ones, sit back, relax, and listen to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. The Red Panda Chronicles, New News in the New Court, Part 1, January 1940. The thin man's shoes clicked upon the staircase as he descended. His manner was dignified yet subservient, though it seemed to Timothy Purley that his expression hardened as he approached the podium at the base of the stairs, perhaps sensing that Purley was no one to whom he needed to genuflect. "'I beg your pardon, sir,' the thin man said with an ever-so-slight lowering of his head, suggesting that the phrase was by way of apology for not being at his post." The tone, however, Purley thought, was still just one shade off what he might have used for a hobo sleeping on the lawn. The thin man raised his eyebrow inquiringly, and Purley sensed this was his opportunity to explain himself. "'Timothy Purley, Toronto Chronicle,' he said, gruffly, almost in spite of himself. "'I'm here to see August Fenwick.' The thin man frowned and raised his nose even higher in the air if such a thing were possible. Newspaper men are not permitted within the Club Macaw,' he said in quiet horror at the thought. "'Timothy Purley was unamused. "'Mr. Fenwick is the owner of the Daily Chronicle,' he said, "'chewing on his words as though they were a plug of very old tobacco. "'And he has instructed me to meet him here on newspaper business. "'I suppose that makes him a newspaper man himself. "'Perhaps you would like to give him the bad news "'that he is no longer welcome on the property.' "'Purley didn't believe for a moment that the wealthy young man about town "'who owned the Chronicle and everything in it, including Purley himself, "'qualified as a newspaper man.' a term which Purley rarefied as deeply as the thin man reviled it. He was, however, accustomed to getting his way, even when circumstances dictated that he was unable to raise his voice. His bluster had the desired effect upon the thin man in the immaculate dark suit, who beckoned to persons unseen. "'Mr. Fenwick is in the grill-room,' he said. "'Allow me to bring you to him. Would you care to leave your coat?' Pearlie was surprised to find the man's small gesture had summoned two nearly identical young men from the cloakroom, one of whom took Pearlie's fedora, and the other his heavy overcoat, both still dusted with the snow which had been falling most diligently all day long, as if it intended to continue doing so until sometime in April. The men backed away for an instant, and when the thin man drew Pearlie's eye away with a sweeping gesture, they vanished as suddenly as they had appeared, back into the hidden places of the exclusive gentlemen's club. Pearlie lumbered behind his guide as graceful as a cement truck, up the main stairs, down a hallway, and up a second set of stairs that were carpeted so as to make them nearly entirely silent. They moved quickly, the thin man not pausing to acknowledge any member of staff they encountered, who were all deferential and uniformly male—uncannily so. There were places in the world of men where females were entirely unwelcome, and the Club Macaw was certainly one of them. Pearlie took note of how absurd it was, how disconcerting, and he did so without even once considering how much it resembled his own newsroom. Not because he did not mean well, but because he was a man in the year of our Lord 1940, and that was simply how things were. The grill-room was alive with a quiet, dignified sort of buzz, it being one of the few places in the Club McCall where conversation was not discouraged, if not entirely prohibited. The thin man handed care of his charge to the maitre d' with a discreet word in his ear, and disappeared himself, leaving Pearlie to follow his new guide through the maze of red leather booths to one with a large table that might have seated six terribly important men, had it not been occupied by a single young man, immaculately dressed and surrounded by a raft of newspapers. Pearlie was pleased to note that his own chronicle had the man's attention at the moment, though the Daily Star, the Telegraph, and the Globe all had their place around the table— "'Some turned to news of the war, some to local crime. "'All had clearly been wrung for every drop of action they had to relate. "'Well, I like to see a man well-occupied,' "'Purley said before the maitre d' could speak for him, "'and the young man looked up startled and beamed in evident delight. "'Editor Purley,' he said, rising and extending his hand, "'thank you for meeting me. "'August Fenwick was fashionably dressed as always, "'and at a distance it made him appear soft and even delicate.' "'But when you were actually in his presence, "'there was no disguising that he was an enormous man. "'Not oafish or disproportionate in any way, "'just gave one the distinct impression "'that he was some sort of prototype for the man of the future. "'His host seemed to sense that Pearlie had noted this "'and moved to sit again before he had entirely finished standing. "'Please, have a seat,' he said with a gesture. "'I know we said lunch, "'but I find myself pressed by another engagement, and I regret. "'No need to explain, sir,' Pearlie began.' "'You should eat, though,' Fenwick declared, ignoring Pearlie's protestations. "'Henry, bring in the chops, would you?' "'Of course, Mr. Fenwick,' the major debowed. bowed. "'What Clarkson was having, it looked quite nice. My account.' "'Of course, sir.' "'And a scotch and soda,' Fenwick added and the man vanished. "'It is scotch and soda, isn't it?' "'Would it matter if it wasn't?' Pearlie chuckled. "'I suppose not,' Fenwick smiled. "'I apologize again for the scheduling conflict. "'I made the mistake of taking an interest in Fenwick Industries, "'and now they seem to think it ought to be some sort of permanent arrangement.' "'Imagine,' Pearlie nodded. "'Truth is, there's some expert coming in from Ottawa, "'speaking to a group of us at the Royal York.' "'Fenwick made a modest shrug with his hands. "'There's talk of setting up a new department. "'They're trying to centralize control of production of war material.' "'Why not?' Pearlie growled. "'Hitler just did.' "'Yes,' Fenwick nodded, "'goring. I saw that in the Chronicle. "'We all need to do what we can. "'They're rationing food in England now. "'Butter, sugar, bacon. "'I know it isn't exciting reading. "'Mr. Fenwick, I know the Chronicle war coverage isn't exactly flying off the stands,' Perley said defensively. "'My manpower is stretched more than ever, "'and this phony war has everyone half asleep. "'You misunderstand me, Tim,' Fenwick said gravely. "'I find no fault with the quality of the reporting.' and if it is more resources that you need, you shall have them. This is a serious moment, and the most unlikely folks must suddenly become serious people. Pearley nodded with satisfaction as his drink was placed in front of him. Sir, if you don't mind my saying, I think that marriage has been good for you. Fenwick seemed gently amused, but did not disagree. Oh, yes? he asked. I remember your younger and wilder days, Pearley grinned, taking a sip. "'Your antics sold quite a few papers yourself, you know. "'But a good woman was just what the doctor ordered, "'and you got yourself a good one.' "'I'm glad you think so,' Fenwick said simply. "'Because you've got her as well.' "'Perley frowned. "'I don't think I understand,' he said. "'You see, Mrs. Baxter Fenwick has taken the notion "'that with the war on and so forth, "'she really ought to be doing some work.' "'Perley was horrified.' "'Now, see here, Mr. Fenwick, the manpower shortage and all, "'a newsroom is really no place for I can't have her work in a munitions factory. "'You see, girl reporters are Tim,' August Fenwick said quietly but firmly. "'It wasn't really a question.' "'Yes, sir,' Pearlie said, lowering his head in defeat. "'Excellent,' Fenwick said, rising as Pearlie's food arrived. "'She's very keen. "'In fact, I believe you'll find her waiting in your office when you finish your lunch.' There was more than the usual bustle in the Royal York Hotel that morning. Benders and merchants from across the city had been loading in for a special event in the grand ballroom, while all manner of uniformed men trooped through the lobby and beyond, securing one of the large meeting rooms on the level above. Polished boots clicked crisply and efficiently up the great staircase that rose from the lobby, and everything seemed to be the picture of order and enterprise. The charge of the event had been given over by the hotel staff to a private security company who looked very well in their charcoal-gray uniforms. They manned the checkpoints, noted the arrival of men and equipment, and coordinated with the junior officers of the armed forces who were staffing the higher-ups who were due to arrive any minute. No one seemed to notice the secret signs that flashed quickly between these busy hands from time to time, or took note in any way of the number of men who seemed to take these silent instructions to heart. The most important guests were soon to arrive, and they had been well prepared for, in every way. The woman in Pearlie's office was not what he expected. Of course he knew all about her, how could he not? For a brief time the story of the billionaire playboy who fell for his lady driver had been all the rage and sold a lot of papers mostly other people's papers, once the chronicle had become Fenwick's property. Pearlie knew the girl had grown up in working-class cabbage town, with an Irish father and a Dutch mother, or possibly the other way around, depending on which story you read. It had all been expected to end badly, either with Fenwick throwing the girl over and facing a lawsuit that might even scratch the surface of his family fortune, or with the girl being discovered to be the adventurous that many assumed she was. Of course, none of those things had happened. The love story was real and genuine and therefore not at all interesting to the public at large. Any hopeless romantics likely to be captivated by the society wedding were sore that it hadn't happened to them, and the yellow press lost interest in Mrs. Catcher Baxter Fenwick. She popped up once or twice a year in a group shot taken at a charity function, usually looking awkward in a big hat and frills. The woman in the office wore no frills, and her hat was small and neat. Awkward was... Not one of the words that Editor Perley would have used to describe her. She stood when he entered, looking serious and professional. Perley was having none of it. Mrs. Fenwick, he began, choosing his next words carefully, which was not his usual approach. I was thinking it might be best to go by Kit Baxter, she said, professionally. Professionally? Purley chewed his lip. Yes, the woman replied, her gaze becoming steely and cold. "'Is that what you are now?' Pearlie snorted. "'Mr. Pearlie, I understand the circumstances are awkward,' she said with some composure, for which she was fighting hard, "'and I don't like it any better than you do. "'But if you'll just give me a chance, I think you'll find me valuable.' "'Valuable, huh?' Pearlie took off his coat and hung it on the rack by his office door. "'He looked up as he removed his hat and saw the woman holding out a sheaf of typewritten pages toward him. "'What's this?' "'Some writing samples,' she explained, "'so you'll know.' "'I don't need those,' Pearlie said with a wave of his hand. "'I get those from reporters, which you are not. "'I didn't get samples from the hat rack, "'and I don't need them from you.' "'I'm not asking for special treatment,' "'the last traces of the woman's smile faded. "'Then get out!' Pearlie said, "'nodding toward the still-open door. "'Special treatment is the only reason you got in this building. "'Special treatment is the only thing keeping me "'from throwing you out on your ear. "'You were August Fenwick's problem, and now you're mine.' And if I play my cards right, I can leverage that for more resources to staff more real reporters and more real coverage of this war. That is your contribution to the war effort, Mrs. Fenwick, or Baxter, or whatever you want to call yourself. The woman seemed to be counting to ten. She was a picture of quiet dignity, but she was playing a part. Pearlie was sure of it. There was fire in her eyes. Surely there is something I can do to be of help, she said. Can you make coffee? perley snorted. He could tell the conversation was attracting the attention of the newsroom, and he didn't like the feeling of being a public bully, but this was not how things worked in his world, and he didn't like it. That's not why I'm here, the woman's hands clenched into two fairly convincing fists, quietly crumbling the pages as they did so. There are a hundred men who work in this building and three women, all of whom make coffee, Pearlie said plainly. I thought you didn't want special treatment. The woman's chin raised slightly. "'I am looking for a certain amount of special treatment,' she admitted. "'Purley looked slightly impressed in spite of himself. "'That was hard to say, wasn't it?' he asked, not expecting or receiving an answer. "'The two stood in silence for a long moment. "'Okay, what the heck,' Purley said with a heavy sigh. "'We're stuck with each other and no mistake. "'There's a ladies' hat show at the Royal York Ballroom. "'Get the credentials from Helen.' "'A hat show?' The woman's response was mildly disgusted, and fast enough that she couldn't have thought about it much before she spoke. "'Is that a problem?' Pearlie growled. "'Because the only benefit of having you represent the paper at this circus "'is that I can save a real reporter to do some actual reporting!' Pearlie was not certain, but he thought she might be actually biting her tongue. He had always assumed that it was just a figure of speech, but it certainly seemed to be happening. "'The hat show will be perfect,' she said at last and she said it with a tone of voice that he had heard from his wife from time to time, when she seemed to be agreeing with him, but actually meant something else entirely. He raised an index figure in stern warning. "'I will be as clear and succinct as I know how. "'You are being dispatched as a representative of this paper, "'and there is nothing I take more seriously than that. "'You will be positive and professional, "'and you will describe all of the pretty hats in passionate detail "'as if it were your writing sample, which it is. "'Write it long, and I'll cut it to fit the available space.' If it winds up more than fifty words long at the end of the day, i will be astonished. If any of those fifty words were actually written by you, you may consider it a personal triumph. Don't hold your breath. The woman's face was an impassive mask. Thank you, Editor Burley," she said. Purley waggled his finger again. Remember, the hats are pretty, he ordered. I adore hats, the woman agreed coldly. Very well then, on your way, Mrs. Fenwick. Baxter, she insisted again. Pearly rolled his eyes. All right, Baxter, get out of my office, he said, for the very first time ever. (laughs) ¶¶